Welcome to the Loved Called Gifted podcast. This is your place to come for musings about spirituality, identity and purpose. I'm your host, Catherine Cowell. This episode of the Love Called Gifted podcast, we're thinking about the fact that we are loved and why actually it's not that easy sometimes to understand that we are loved. So absolutely core to the Christian faith is the understanding that God loves us and that our primary identity is that of beloved sons and daughters of God, which is a pretty amazing idea. The idea that the creator of the universe loves you just as you are. If you're a Christian, then you may well have heard these words. They come from a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Rome, who I think were having a not a great time at the time. Anyway, he said this, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. And that sounds incredible. And if you're a Christian, it's sort of assumed that you can take God's love as given. You might have noticed that it's not always that simple. And for many of us, really, truly knowing that we are loved by God is not something that comes in the Christianity starter pack, even though the advertising tells us that it will. It's actually something that develops over the course of a lifetime. And that's why we're talking about it in this episode. And I'm very pleased to be joined by my friend, Sean Kennedy. Hello. Thank you ever so much for agreeing to do this. It's really kind of you. We have both been working together for some while now and actually the reason that I've invited Sean to join me for this conversation is that we have both been thinking for some time about the fact that understanding that God loves us is just not that simple. Both in our own lives we've experienced that and walked with it and we've worked and lived with people for whom that is the case. And so the lens that we're going to look at it through, actually, is the lens of early experience and attachment. So before we kind of head off into that, I wonder, do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Yes, I'm Sean Kennedy. I grew up in Northern Ireland. Then in my early career, trained as an engineer, worked as an engineer. And then about sort of 1998, I just felt a need for a complete career change. I was sort of bored working with things and I really missed working with people. So people fascinate me. So I started mentoring back in about 1998, trained as a counsellor and then as a coach and personality profiler, etc. So I'm a kind of, a, I'm a leadership coach and a life coach. And I think I might have uh, written a few books with you. Did I? Did I think, that? I think the last count it was two. It was two. So, so we wrote Church Uncorked and we wrote Love Called Gifted. Right. Okay. Was, yeah. So <laughs> did, it, did it make it, did it feel, was it that painful? Did it feel like many more? <laughs> I'm, I'm still in therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So do you have a definition of attachment? Well, just to keep yes. it really simple, it basically how we attach to our parents or our primary caregivers in the, in the earliest parts of our, of our life, I guess, even from, from within the womb you know, through to the, the time that we leave home. But it's the it's the really early years that are 
are, are, are critical and that that that's the kind of the foundation of our life and everything else gets built on top of that it's incredible isn't it just how much of a difference that sort of attachment is it's maybe worth just saying that this podcast comes with a bit of a warning so some of the material that we're talking about it might be that it brings things up for you emotionally and it may be that you need to talk to somebody afterwards would you say sure yeah when i first looked at this i found it incredibly helpful but it was also quite triggering so so yeah just just be be aware yeah okay so attachment i think if i was going to give a definition it's it's about that foundational sense of being safe and being loved yes absolutely and it's sort of one of the ways that I've sometimes I've sometimes described it is that you get your sense of who you are and the fact that you're valuable and loved in the gaze of usually your mother, kind of in those very early mm. years. Mm. Um, and it's almost like you see your self-worth reflected in the way that your primary caregivers, usually your mother, the way that they approach you and the way that they feel about you. And that gives you that kind of foundation. But what you said about kind of it being even in the womb is really interesting because I'm an adopted parent myself. So this is why this subject's actually really important oh, yeah. to you as well. Oh, I'm absolutely passionate about it because I've seen, I've seen the way that it plays out really dramatically. But I, my boys came home aged two and five. But I know people who came to you. Came to me. Yes, they came home. They came home to me. But I know people who adopted really, really young children kind of maybe four six weeks old and there were or children who had been removed at birth because things were difficult and actually what you find is that quite often those children growing up also really struggle because the stuff that happened pre-birth has had a really significant impact on them mm. Mm. and and the ripples of attachment kind of work out through the whole of our lives so one of the reasons that it's worth talking about in a kind of Christian spiritual context, so that's not the only reason it's important, is because actually the way that we attach to our primary caregivers has an impact on the way that we relate to God. Absolutely. This is such a seldom talked about thing that that is really, really important. And the ironic thing and the thing which sometimes just feels unfair almost is that if you if you've struggled to understand that you're loved by the primary people in your life then that's the pattern that you take with you into your relationship with god and your relationships with your partners and children as well and your work colleagues yes yeah. and i think though we do need to be careful here this, this sounds awfully fixed and set in concrete but these things can be healed. These things can be worked on. So I'll maybe say a bit more about that later. Yes. Yeah. But there is something very freeing, I think, about understanding what might be going on, both for ourselves and for the other people around us. So you you can have had a pretty reasonably good childhood and early start in life, but we are none of us parented by perfect people. We all have the disadvantage of growing up in families full of flawed human beings. Mm. So even if this isn't something which is a major struggle for you, it may well be that as we talk about attachment styles, that there will be things from that that will kind of ring bells for you. 
that what we're talking about is what are the survival strategies yes. that you've picked up along the way? So what were the tools that you actually needed in order to function and survive when you were very little? And how many of those are you still carrying with you? One. Yeah. And how many of them are you using regularly? And, and, and using with God even as well. Let's begin with the, the, the easiest one, which is the original one, really. British psychiatrist and psychoanalyst John Bowlby. And he noticed that children who had been evacuated during the war, that they came home with some quite different behaviour from other children that had not been evacuated. If you remember your history in the main towns and cities in Britain, presumably abroad as well, they evacuated the children off to the countryside where the, there was less risk of, of bombing. So uh, whilst they may have been physically safer, these children, it appears, weren't as psychologically safe as one might have imagined. So, yeah, they came back with, with a different behaviour. So they, they found something very similar, didn't they, with the children from the Romanian orphanages, orphanages? yes. Who had suffered really quite severe deprivation in terms of not having their physical needs were cared for, but they didn't get the, yes. their emotional needs met yeah. at all. And so lots of families who adopted Romanian orphans out of the goodness of their hearts, were expecting that if these kids came home and they looked after them and they loved them, all would be fine. And in actual fact, a lot of them had really severe difficulties. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to look at four different attachment styles or attachment, attachment patterns. Yeah, there's the secure attachment. There's what's called the ambivalent Attachment. So uh, ambivalent kind of means you're, you're not too sure. Uh, do I attach? Do I not attach? Then there's the insecure avoidant. Standing back, it, it doesn't really particularly want to attach. And then there's this severe form called the disorganized or controlling or fearful attachment style. Okay. So I'm guessing that the the secure attachment is the one that that is maybe easiest to understand and the one that we kind of all expect one another to have. Yeah. So I guess about 55% of the population, maybe a little bit more, according to a 2009 study, 55% of the people have a healthy, secure attachment. So these people, they had parents that were very much in tune with their needs. Um, and as infants, you know, their parents created the safe environment for them where they, where they knew they were loved. So they internalized this secure base. So if you grow up in a home where you know that you're safe and that you know that you're loved and you know that your needs are going to be met, both your emotional and your physical needs, then it's safe to operate in the world in a way that is trusting. So that sense that we are happy being close to other people, it's not that difficult to form relationships. We can believe that people love us. We can trust people. And they have a, a strong sense of self and sense of, of self-esteem, which is good. And they set appropriate boundaries with those around them so they can handle what life throws at them with maturity and confidence. And these people are likely to find it easier to find clarity about the sorts of things God is calling them to do. Okay, so that's 55% of people. Yeah, roughly. 
which leaves 45% of people, roughly, yeah, who are not in the position of having that kind of level of secure attachment. And I'm, I'm guessing that once we're moving away from secure attachment, a really secure attachment base, then we are thinking about things which will kind of happen at different levels, won't they? So not everybody's going to have such a severe difficulty with attachment to, to have a huge impact, but it may well be that you have some things that you think that rings a bit of a bell for me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about four attachment styles. You know, we're making this a bit boxy. Yeah. When in fact, yeah, it's yeah. more of a spectrum. Yes. Really. Yeah. I mean, to, to have a, a secure base, to a good secure base, as Bill Bowlby uh, put it, we need to have good enough parents. Yes. Because yeah. no parent's perfect. Actually, if you grow up in a home where there is neglect and you don't get that emotional warmth, then to grow up in a trusting way that assumes that if you have needs that somebody will meet them and if there are adults in your life you can trust them if that's not your early experience then as a survival thing you will end up developing strategies and your brain will develop in such a way to protect you from the fact that the adults in your life and the other people in your life later on might not be very helpful. I guess with the these other attachment styles we're going to look at that the parents maybe weren't quite good enough uh, and some of them actually would be quite abysmal yes i i think i mean i don't know how i don't know how anybody's worked this out or who did the survey but there is that figure isn't there that a good enough parent kind of manages to be reasonably decent about 30 percent of the time which if you're thinking, have I screwed my kids up? That gives you quite a lot of yeah. sense of leeway. I'm not sure how true that is. I'm but. not sure how true that is, but uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, we just have to be good enough as parents and, and not beat ourselves up about it. Yeah, and this, this is another important thing. When, when you listen to this, don't overanalyze your own parenting. Yeah, because that's not going to be very helpful either. No, it's not. Okay, so the second attachment style would be what? Okay, that's the, the insecure or ambivalent attachment or anxious attachment style. Yeah. That's about 20% of the population. And these folks, they, they want to get close to other people, but they're a little bit anxious about it. Yeah. So it's like one step forward, one step back. Children with this attachment style are often distrustful of adults. And this is because they've never fully learned how to predict how adults will respond to their needs. And this may be because their, their parents were inconsistent in how they responded to the child as the baby. So love may have been conditional. Mum and dad may have been unpredictable and sent mixed messages. So sometimes when the baby cried, the parent was attentive and nurturing. And other times the parent maybe was unavailable or unintrusive or dismissive and insensitive and, and left the baby to cry. Yeah. So as toddlers and older children, they're often, often physically cling to their parents. They, they, they don't want to let them get away. Maybe they don't want to be too close to them as well. So again, that's that ambivalence. Mm -hmm. They may be worried at some unconscious level that they, they're not loved. They would have been confused, wanting to be held and then didn't want to be. So this angry, conflicting feelings reign inside. Uh, but they also pay quite, because they don't trust, maybe trust uh, adults. They're going to pay close attention to them. It sounds as if often what they're doing is trying to figure out what the adult might be up to. 
because they're not always entirely sure. So you can't completely trust, but you've had enough of the love to think, I'd quite like some more of that. You don't want to let your adult disappear because are they going to come back? Yeah, or yeah. are they going to be abusive in some yeah. way? Yeah. It, you're trying to work out the logic of what, you know, what is this world about? Where is my place in it? Am I safe? What levers do I pull to get my, my, my needs met? So you've developed some survival skills, which are about dealing with that unpredictability. Yeah. And you're going to carry those with you into the rest of your life. Yes, potentially. Yeah. This can lead to a sort of really a negative self-view and, and a fear of rejection. So as adults... These people have a tendency to be people pleasers. They can be quite preoccupied with what others think about them. And because they don't feel very lovable, they're sensitive to rejection and have this tendency to be overly dependent. Mm. So self-esteem is a bit low and they're prone to anxiety and worry about relationships. So you can really see how that happens. Yeah. Okay. And then the third attachment style so this is where they had even more unreliable parents mm -hmm. uh, this is where they feel little desire to get close to other people and they wish to avoid them so this is the insecure avoidant attachment style right. and that's roughly about 23 percent of the population according to that, uh, that study so as, as children who, are, who have this insecure avoidant attachment style, they didn't learn that it was the adult's rule to care for them. And this bond of trust and love didn't form correctly with them. And this was most likely because their parents were emotionally unresponsive when they were an infant. And so the message that maybe they maybe got was when they were crying, you know, communicated by the parents, you know, stop crying. You know, if you have feelings, if you have needs, well, you know, keep quiet about them. Uh, you're not going to get what you want, so you better deal with it yourself. So mum and dad may have been practical and functional, but, you know, they may have fed you, but you know, they didn't have much warmth or comfort to, to offer. Unsurprisingly, such people, you know, learn to avoid close relationships because they see little point in them. You know, you just get hurt, so you better look after yourself. So the child is forced to be uh, independent before it's ready. They, they focus on their own needs and, and can actually end up ignoring the needs of others. So children with this insecure avoidant attachment style, they're self-reliant to a point that needing an adult's help actually makes them feel insecure. They suffer from high levels of, of anxiety and harbour a strong fear of failure. They don't communicate with adults when they're upset or stressed. And they can be appear withdrawn or isolated. I'm wondering, Sean, listening to you talking about that, I th I think that I that I've met some people who who seem to be able to mask their not wanting to be close to other people and rely on them by becoming themselves people that others can rely on. You end up with this sense of I will look after everybody else, but I won't accept help and affection back. Does that sound kind of familiar to you? Those people are very sort of self-contained will on the outside they will give a lot and sometimes you look at them and you think is anybody looking after you and then you realize that the truth is that they don't they're not really comfortable with anybody looking after them yes yes i've met 
quite a few people like this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, these actually can be, they sound quite dysfunctional people, but they can on the surface actually function in life quite well. Yes. But maybe not so well in relationships. So as adults, they value this sort of self-sufficiency. I think yeah. if that's the right word, they avoid other people, they avoid closeness. I think spiritually, you know, they might decide that they, I mean, I've heard people say, all I need is God. I don't need other, I don't need other close relationships. Or they decide that they don't need God at all. And I think this is, you know, one reason for, for atheism, actually. But yeah, and they, and they avoid God because he, he feels like he's a, it feels like he's an un, un, unreliable caregiver as well. So they suppress their own feelings. They're, they can be critical and dismissive of others as a way of dealing with some of the, the rejection and insecurity they feel. And they're actually likely to dismiss any criticisms of themselves as, you know, as being other people's problems. So, yeah, it, it strikes me just looking purely at the figures that these two attachment styles that we've been looking at, it is not true that 45% of the population kind of don't function. <laughs> no, no. You know what I mean? No, no. So so actually these attachment styles are things which many of us live with and and we do form relationships and get married and have kids and get jobs and function reasonably well. And quite often we have developed coping strategies that mean that those things work reasonably well. But kind of underneath there are things which sort of trip you up a bit. Yeah. A really good example with this would be my aunt Anne. She was evacuated to, to Canada. You know, she she was a, a journalist. She worked for one of the Britain's leading newspapers. She worked, I think, for the BBC for a while. I remember as a young child going to a, a dinner party that she'd organised. I mean, she spent most of the time in the kitchen, kind of making sure other people were looked after, but she, she wouldn't be there in, in, in the thick of it. And she was quite generous, actually, as a person. I would not have got through university. I would have not gone to university. She helped me financially. So this is not some sort of antisocial robot that we're talking about. Uh, she was married, you know, so she'd formed a close attachment to her husband and, and was absolutely destroyed, really, for a while when, when, when he died. So, yeah, she did create certain relationships and functioned at, at a level and functioned successfully at a certain level. But getting close to her was difficult. It was, you know, some of the conversations with her were very sort of staccato. Yeah. So then I think, I think we're moving on to thinking about this fourth attachment style, which affects just about 1% of people. Yes, yes. This is the fearful, the disorganized and controlling attachment style. And these people really don't want to get close to others at all. So as infant, infants, these people had a very disorganized attachment and they were probably raised by very quite frightening parents who abused them, who neglected them, or by parents who themselves were very frightened. So for this child, the world was a scary places and there were there was few places they could uh, and few people where they could feel safe and comfortable. What you might notice about these children with this disorganized or controlling attachment style is they seek to control relationships with adults. I mean, they might be well behaved for a short time when they meet somebody new, but very quickly they're trying to take control 
Uh, they have a limited range of emotions, a poor attention span, high levels of anxiety and stress, uh, which they, they might mask. You might not know that they have that. They struggle to learn in school and they resist attempts at support or encouragement from adults. And they are hypervigilant. These really are people who find functioning in the world very difficult. So this is kind of the sharp end. So these are people who are going to find relationships and just functioning in life yeah. incredibly difficult. Yeah, and in, in, in terms of the adults that they grow into, you know, yeah, that they, they're going to have very mixed feelings about getting close to others. Uh, they're going to be lonely. They actually might want emotional closeness in a way, but they're going to feel it's going to feel really dangerous. So they feel inadequate, unworthy, you know, and they ask themselves, why would other people want me? And it's hard, very hard for them when others show them affection. They, they struggle to develop loving, close, meaningful relationships with others. And, you know, especially with, with God, uh, because of all, you know, they are so defended. They are so defended. Okay. So that gives us a bit of an um, overview of sort of those four attachment styles. So there's a few important things to note, aren't there, about this? Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> this is quite a boxy model, but actually the truth is it's more, it is more—it is more of a spectrum. You can have a bit of one and a bit of another attachment style. I notice that I've got different attachment styles with different people. I've got very safe, secure attachment style with my wife and uh, much of my family, but there are other people in my life I'm more of an ambivalent attachment with. One of the things that I would notice is that quite often people will function and will have found ways of being in the world and will have healed from some of the stuff that's gone on in the past and developed some quite good attachments with people. But under situations of stress yes. or in situations that are a little bit more threatening, then that might be the time when some of those things kind of rear their head. Yes. But if you were going to talk about a situation that might be stressful, then I would say inviting an omniscient being to be your your close friend is a situation which potentially it's <laughs> potentially really stressful yeah and and especially if you think about think about some of the things that we hear about god if the picture that you've been given of God is of somebody who ultimately is going to judge the world and what you have done, and that's going to be something which you're going to need to deal with, well, that somebody, whatever your tendency towards attachment styles is, whatever tools you might have picked up along the way, although you might be happy not to carry them with you in some circumstances, it may well be that within your relationship with God, you pick them all back up. Yes, I mean, you can have a really ambivalent attachment style with God. If you have the threat of judgment and hell, this God that loves you, but may punish you severely, you're, you know, you could end up with a quite a uh, an insecure, an avoidant uh, attachment to God or, or an ambivalent attachment to God. And, and that's what I had in my early days as a Christian. I was terrified of God and I needed to to keep a close eye on God because he was unpredictable. And if I did the wrong thing, you know, he was going to throw a bolt of lightning at me. It strikes me as we're talking, actually, that 
just how closely those attachment styles map onto the way that people respond to God. So if you start off with that sense of a secure attachment style, that is really... An unconditional love. Yes. Well, well, that is the thing which you're kind of sold in the starter pack, isn't it? You will feel safe with God. You will feel loved. You will know that God is going to take care of you. That, as I've heard people say, God's got your back. You can be affectionate with God because it's safe to do so. And when you're upset, you can run into his arms and he's going to proverbially stroke your head. Yes. And you can see, can't you, how somebody with a secure attachment style who has a... A relationship with God that reflects that secure attachment style is likely to say to everybody else who is struggling, well, this is what I do. You know, I sit down with a cup of tea and I chat to God and I call God daddy and we have a lovely cosy conversation and I go away knowing that God is going to meet my needs. And that's what you need to do, except that if that's not your attachment style, Mm. then that ain't going to work for you. So... So if you think about the person with that kind of watchful, insecure, ambivalent sort of attachment style that you described with the parents who sometimes they'll meet your needs and sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll be nice and sometimes they won't. And that kind of perfectly matched, doesn't it, onto that view of God as being somebody who loves you. But then there are the things that you can read and hear about which suggest that God is maybe, God is maybe going to judge what you're doing and i've heard people talking about how do we remain in the favor of god well there is a recipe for quite a lot of yes quite a lot of kind of fairly neurotic watching you know have i done the right things am i praying enough am i doing enough to earn approval am i not quite doing enough to earn approval do i need do i need to go to three services on a sunday and and help out a bit more because i need to i need to work quite hard to get god's approval and you can kind of almost hear and how sinless and perfect do we need to be as well yes. what yeah what constitutes something that god is gonna you know lash out at, at us over and then we end up in a cycle of perfectionism Yes, because if you're if you're thinking, well, sometimes I'm going to hit this right and God is going to think I'm all right, but sometimes I'm not, then there is always the risk that you haven't quite done enough. There's always the risk that it hasn't quite it hasn't quite worked. I have been noticing lately, actually listening to sermons that there are some styles of preaching which really feed into this. It's that Mm. kind of God might be disappointed with you sort of thing. So we're going to talk about, I don't know, we're going to talk about prayer. And, and rather than simply talking about how one might connect with the divine, what you'll get is something which sort of says, well, here are five different ways in which you must pray. And here's a whole pile of instructions about how to make your prayer life better. And the underlying kind of assumption is that your prayer life probably isn't quite good enough yet. Yes. But if you work a bit harder, it will be You need better. to do more. Yes. Yeah. You need to do more. Yeah. I mean, this is just bound to affect, if we are a preacher or a theologian, mm. this affects what we talk about this affects how we preach the sort of sermon that we give this affects everything and i think i think the people that really scared me early on as a christian was jonathan edwards and he was the 18th century revivalist preacher in new england 
Uh, oh, he's the he's the kind of god is holding you over a flaming pit, guy. Yes, he thinks <laughs> of you like a spider, and uh, a wicked spider, and he's holding you over the flames of hell. And at a whim, he might just let go of you. So, what do you reckon Jonathan Edwards' attachment style was, then, Sean? He certainly, I would think he was uh, an insecure or avoidant or anxious avoidant, or maybe even a disorganized uh, attachment. Yeah, he's a, he's a really scared and scary chap. He's fire and brimstone. I'm going to be controversial here because, you know, this is a great awakening or revival that occurred as a result of this. And I'm not going to say for a minute that God didn't move through some of that, but something has happened to 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 Jonathan Edwards that has given him this really dire, unhealthy view of God that psychologically does not make any sense to me. No. But I think, you know, the, these are the lenses with which we are given at an early age that we grew up to view the world through we you know whether we, we, we view god or theology or relationships through so so one of one of the things that's been it's interesting you should talk about lenses because one of the things that's been occurring to me as you were speaking is that it would be very interesting when listening to sermons particularly when they're starting to feel a bit kind of toxic and you're kind of thinking i'm not feeling very comfortable this with this is to think what is the attachment lens potentially the attachment lens of the person who's giving the sermon so I'm I'm thinking of people I've listened to in the past who talk very much in that kind of self-sufficient get on with it and work hard for God sort of way. And mm-hmm. and and listening to you talking about attachment styles today, I thought, well, that sounds like that kind of avoidant, I'm not getting close to anybody sort of lens. Yeah. And quite often it's some, not always, but sometimes it's quite academic and quite kind of rule book driven. That sort of, we'll read the book of Proverbs and we'll follow it because that will give you the instructions for if we work hard in these ways, then we can be, then we know that God will look upon us with favour. And the thing you need to do as a Christian is that you need to work harder and you need to get these jobs done and we'll all serve the world and we'll go out and meet everybody's needs. It's a very cause and effect Christianity, which is not terribly relational not necessarily i've known people who are kind of professional christians they lead churches or they do sort of missionary charitable work type stuff and they keep going and keep going and keep going and they work really hard in order to serve god and don't often stop and take some time to actually be nurtured but what that sometimes means is if you are in the church of somebody who's leading a church like that there might be many many opportunities for ministry and to use your gifts and do stuff but not necessarily very much time spent helping you to understand who you are and what your identity is so you end up in a in an environment which is very much about performance and doing things and you can tie that up into well we are loving the world for god which is lovely except that that's not the whole picture is it no no it needs to be more balanced yeah we're getting to the end of our time but it strikes me that there are quite a number of different ways in which 
understanding that we we emerge from childhood with these survival strategies helps us to see the way that we see the world. And actually, I think there's something really freeing in thinking, ah, so that's why I find it difficult to let people close, because I have a tendency to be a bit avoidant. If you spot that, then actually you can begin to look at, well, how might I change these lenses? Even if it's just sometimes I could take these glasses off and try out a different pair of glasses. It might be that to start with, I do that when it's safe. It might be that I can begin to think, well, actually, if I'm really knackered because I've been working very hard, it may be that somebody else with a different attachment style will begin to think I could sit down and look after myself and give myself a cup of tea and a piece of cake. Or if you've got that sort of, that sense of things being unpredictable and you have to be hypervigilant. And if you kind of can see that pattern, then again, it gives you permission to begin to see things differently. Awareness is half the battle. So in summary, I think we're saying that if you didn't feel like you got God's love in the starter pack and it's, it's not that easy for you to simply relax into that, actually that's really normal. And it might, it might take time. Most people find that as the years go by, they find it easier to yes. relax into God's love. But it's, it's not that it's impossible. It's not that it won't happen. Yes. But it is the case that for many of us, it takes time and it's not necessarily quick. And if that is the case for you, that is completely normal. It's a really normal job. Absolutely. Relax into that. Relax that love is a process. It takes time. And it is, it is the journey, actually, it's for many of us. It is, and it's the primary journey of our Christian lives. Absolutely. That, that kind of getting to the point of feeling loved. And the other thing that we have talked about is the fact that when you are listening to other people, particularly people who would regard themselves as Christian teachers, whether they're writing books or preaching sermons, then they too will have an attachment style. Abs absolutely. And it may not be a healthy one. Yes, or it may have kind of elements of that unhealthiness. So it may be that some of what people are saying is soaked in love. And the other thing that that secure attachment does is that it sends out that sense of welcome and acceptance. So if you are listening to somebody and what they are saying, the way that they are speaking or writing gives you that sense of unconditional welcome and acceptance and hospitality almost of yourself and who you are, that sense that who you are is okay, then that is coming from a place of healthy attachment. If you are getting the sense that maybe you're not enough, that you need to work harder, that there's more to do, that God might be disappointed with you or even cross with you, then actually that is likely to be coming from a... An insecure secure. attachment of some sort. Yes. Yeah. And if we're reading the Bible, the, the Bible can be really hard for people with the, the more insecure attachments. You know, it can be riddled with minds that, that we step on, things that make us feel like we're not okay. Yes, Actually, because... those verses aren't really for us. Yes, because it's a really complex and ancient book. And so your attachment style will determine the lenses through which you look at the Bible and the things that you spot. So the people who look at it and, and find within it 
that sense of God's unconditional love are probably starting from a place of secure attachment. And the ones who come at it thinking, oh, no, this is not good. That You know, I, I'm, I'm, I am in danger. I think, I think your description of there being landmines is a really, really good one. You're kind of reading something and you come across verses that make you feel horribly insecure and unsafe. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by how, you know, some people describe the Bible as a as a love letter to mankind. And then you get Jonathan Edwards, yeah. who's on the other end of the spectrum, you know. And so how, how on earth do you get the such a, a large spectrum? And I think attachment theory is a window into that. I don't think, I, you know, let's be careful here. This is not all the reasons. No, absolutely. It's one little piece of the jigsaw. It's one significant piece of the jigsaw. Yes, it's a significant piece, but it's not all of it. And the other thing to remember is that we have looked at a particularly simple model of attachment, and there are other ways of looking at attachment. Yes. But there may well have been things in this that were helpful for you. Yes. I think we would end by saying, yes, you are loved. You are loved, you are called, and you are gifted. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com. And that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course or if you'd like to find out about spiritual direction or coaching. Thank you for listening. <laughs>